Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So this weekend, we are continuing a series that we started last week uh, called Carols. And in this series, we're just walking through, taking some Christmas carols that you know and that maybe you love, maybe you do not love them, uh, as has been the case so far to to. My surprise, I've had a few people be like, I hate that carol. I'm like, wow, that's some strong language. Um, but, uh, but basically what we're doing is we're taking Christmas carols as a, as a launch pad for the gospel. And we're taking a Christmas carol that maybe you know and just using that and looking at what it has to say and the truth that, has, uh, that it has in it and then talking th- about the gospel through that. And so this weekend... The, um, the carol that we're looking at is the first Noel, and this was a carol that has some ambiguous origins, um, but the first time that it was recorded or printed in modern language was in 1823. And the word Noel is borrowed from a French word, and that French word is derived from a Latin word, and the Latin word is natalis. And natalis um, has a literal translation of birthday, and so when we talk about the first Noel, and if you look at it literally, it is the first birthday. It's talking about the birth of our Savior. Today, Noel is just a word that's used synonymously or interchangeably with Christmas. So that's why you might hear people say, uh, Happy Noel, because it's talking about the birth of Jesus. We're talking about Christmas. And that's really where that comes from. Um, and the, the first Noel, the lyrics, and really we're going to see this over the next few weeks. Um, I don't love this song because it's not totally accurate. And I'll walk through why it's not totally accurate in a moment. And if you love the first Noel, I just want to apologize in advance. I hope I don't crush your Christmas. But we're going to walk through. Um, and it depends on the version you've heard or seen, because there are lots of different versions. Um, there are, uh, NSYNC did a version of this, by the way, and I know some of you probably really enjoy that one. Uh, my favorite is the uh, Frank Sinatra version. Um, in the Frank Sinatra version, uh, he does two, two of the verses, but the second verse he doesn't even do. Like the backup singers do the second verse, and I can imagine like when they were recording it, he was like, how many verses is it? And they're like, it's seven, Mr. Sinatra. He's like, I'm doing two. And they're like, all right, whatever you want to do, Mr. Sinatra. And then he gets through the first verse, and the second verse he's like, okay, you people sing. And then he just smokes and drinks brandy while they're finishing the song up. (laughs) He's singing about our Savior and Lord, and he's just taking long drags, right? Um, That's what I'm imagining. And it's funny, in the Sinatra version, they actually change the lyrics. They add words that aren't it anyway. So it depends on which version you read. The version we have today that I want us to look at is, it's got five verses. I want to just read those real quickly to you. The first verse says, The first Noel the angel did say was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay, in fields where they lay, uh, keeping their sheep on a cold winter's night that was so deep. Noel, 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 born is the king of Israel. Israel is how you have to say it in the song, but nobody ever says, yeah, I've got a trip planned to Israel. They shoehorned it in for the song. The second verse says, they, talking about the shepherds, looked up and saw a star shining in the east beyond them far and to the earth. It gave great light and so it continued both day and night. 
And by the light of the same star, three wise men came from country afar to seek a king was their intent and to follow the star wherever it went. The star drew nigh to the northwest, or Bethlehem, it took its rest. And there it did both stop and stay, right over the place where Jesus lay. They entered, uh, they then entered in those wise men three, full reverently upon the knee, and offered there in his presence gold and myrrh and frankincense. So this is the thing. I want you to understand this. Whatever your favorite Christmas song is, whatever your favorite carol is, it was not intended to be a theological statement of truth. It was not intended to educate you about, about doctrine. It was intended to entertain primarily. And so when we see a song like this, it is full of theological inaccuracies. And it doesn't mean it's worthless, it just means we've gotta value them for what they actually are. So if, if you look at this song as we just read it, there's a couple things I'll point out. The first thing is this, in verse two it says, they looked upon the star, uh, the, the, the bright star. They didn't look upon the star. The shepherds didn't see the star, at least it's not recorded in scripture. They saw the angel. The angel appeared and then the heavenly host appeared, but it doesn't say that they followed a star anywhere. But yet, the, the song indicates that they did. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but let's be honest, Christmas carols have shaped our theology in many ways. And if you're like me, there are things like this that I'm like, oh yeah, I just always kind of assumed that they saw the star too and they followed it. They didn't, according to scripture. Um, the other thing is we call it a star. And if, if you are, if you're the, the person that likes to do this, you could do the uh, the YouTube deep dive on what was the star, the Christmas star, what was it actually? Uh, there's all kinds of theories for what it actually was, that it wasn't a star, maybe it was a confluence of planets that were coming into alignment that caused a bright light like a star. It might have been a comet um, that, that sh was shining bright, an abnormality um, cosmically that caused that. It could have been uh, an angel of the Lord that was leading them, uh, but let's be honest, none of that really matters because uh, our God is a miraculous God. He is the God of the universe. He spoke the universe into creation. He could have done whatever he wanted to in the sky, right? He could have hung a, a fresh, bright ribeye in the sky if he'd have wanted to, and he could have done whatever he wanted. It wouldn't have mattered because he is God. So what it was is kind of secondary, but if you would like to just waste your entire afternoon today, you can Google this and you can find some YouTube videos that are kind of interesting. Um, the other thing I would say is this. The wise men probably were not present at the nativity. And some of you right now are thinking, Mel, you ruined my nativity set. Because my nativity set has three wise men and we know for sure what they looked like, right? One was African origin, one was Caucasian, and one was kind of like, we're not sure what their origin is, but that's how they have to be because that's what my nativity says. And there are people that are like this, yeah, that has to be wrong, Mel, because I was in a play when I was a kid and I was a wise man and I had the bathrobe. I know for sure, right? But according to timelines in history tells us that it probably wasn't possible for the wise men to be at the birth of Jesus, to show up when he was in the manger. 
Um, and this is where we start getting into some weird timelines because the narrative from Matthew and the narrative from Luke, they seem to contradict each other at times. But there are a number of ways that you can look at the stories and they interlink seamlessly. But if you just read them at face value, it seems to tell two different stories, but it doesn't at all because they omit different parts. They don't tell their entire story. It's just like when you talk to people and they're sharing stories, they might not put every detail in that you would put in. And that's what we see in the gospel story. So, so the wise men probably weren't there. In fact, a lot of theologians believe that the wise men might not have showed up until Jesus was one or maybe one and a half. And that's why Herod said all children under two needed to be killed. Um, and if you're not familiar with that part of the story, um, it's, it's there in the gospel and we're not gonna get into all that today. But... There's a lot of theories on timelines and wise men and when did they show up, but what the song says is they showed up, they followed the star to Bethlehem, and that probably wasn't the case, that he was probably, they probably weren't at the manger. The other thing is this, um, it says the star took him to Bethlehem, the New Living Translation says Bethlehem, but most other translations do not indicate Bethlehem when they the wise men showed up to Jerusalem. Herod, who was king, said, hey, he's, the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem, and that's where you need to go. And then it says that they followed the star. So it doesn't say they went to Bethlehem. It says that they followed the star. So we don't know for sure, but that's what the song says. And, and here's what I want you to understand. If you've ever heard the, the carol or the song, Little Drummer Boy, has anybody ever heard that song? Come, they told me, right? He has misled all of us. The little drummer boy lied to us, okay? Do not believe Christmas carols. Don't get your theology from Christmas carols, okay? Because they are wrought with problems. But I am telling you, um, the Bible is true. And so let me walk through some of these stories. Because really, this, this song is still valuable because at the heart of this song it's bringing our attention back to Jesus. It's bringing our attention back to the Savior. That's what we're celebrating. Um, and so it talks in this song specifically about the shepherds and about the wise men. And so I wanna take a couple minutes and just talk through who they were and talk through their parts in this story. So let me start in Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two, Jesus had been born um, in Bethlehem to Mary and Joseph and there were some shepherds in the fields nearby, and this is in Luke chapter two, verse eight is where we'll begin. This is what it says. In the same region, there, was a sh there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And I love the fact that they identify the fact that that the Lord has revealed this to them, like, hey, God has shown us this. God has invited us into this. And it says, then they went with haste. They hurried and found Mary and Joseph and a baby lying in a manger. And when they 
saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Now, shepherds in this day and age were very much blue collar. Um, they were, they were, um, they were occupying a position that most people didn't aspire to. Most people didn't grow up dreaming of becoming a shepherd someday. Um, but it was an important profession. It was an important job for people to have. But most people didn't long for that job. It was lower on the uh, on the esteem scale, if you could say it that way. And so what we see in this moment are there's these shepherds in the middle, they're in this field at night watching their sheep, and they typically would lead sheep out long distances to find good areas to graze, and they would not come in necessarily every night. But but what we see or what we know historically is they probably weren't just out in an open field with these sheep just wandering around at night. There was a good chance that they had found a nook or a cranny or a cave in a, the face of a cliff, something that they could kind of protect and shield their sheep in. And then the angel of the Lord shows up, speaks to them, tells them that the Messiah they've been waiting on, Literally, the, the Hebrew people had been waiting on Messiah for, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, that he has finally arrived, that he's been born in Bethlehem. And it's interesting because, what do they say? They say, let's go. With haste, they went, right? They, they, they decided we've got to be a part of this. They say, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened which the Lord has made known to us. Let's go, and they go. They had a decision to make. Now, here's the thing. They had a responsibility, didn't they? Their, their sheep were their responsibility. They were expected to take care of their sheep. And I don't know, in many nativity scenes you see, sometimes there is a sheep with a shepherd, or they've got one over their shoulders, or you know, there's one laying there. But they did not bring all their sheep with them to the nativity, probably. Could have been hundreds and hundreds of sheep. So they had a decision to make. Are we going to miss that or are we going to set aside our responsibility? Because this is our responsibility. This is what we're supposed to do. But are we really gonna miss that? Are we really gonna miss what the Lord has just told us about? Are we gonna miss an opportunity to experience the King, to experience the Messiah? And they had to ask themselves the question, will we worship the king or will, we, or will we take care of our responsibility? And too many times this is the decision we have to make as well. In our own lives, there are responsibilities we have in this world that we take for granted and we go, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. And as a result, we make a decision. I'm gonna take care of my responsibility and I'm gonna set aside the Messiah. I'm gonna set aside the king. I'm gonna set aside intimacy with the Lord because I've got things I've got to do. And if I'm gonna be honest with you, um, this happens in church all the time. It happens with pastors all the time. This is something we talk to our staff about all the time. Don't get so busy doing ministry, taking care of your responsibilities, that you miss the fact that we're supposed to be doing this face-to-face -face with Jesus, that we're supposed to be intimate with the Lord. And that can happen for pastors. We get busy doing good things. 
our responsibilities draw us away from intimacy with God. And we have decisions to make. Now, this is the thing. These things aren't mutually exclusive. You can do both. But too many times, the responsibilities of this world pull us away from worshiping God and being intimate with him. It's interesting is in verse 20 then it says, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Can you imagine after they were done, after they made the decision, said let's go see what's going on and they go and they experience it and they talk to Mary and Joseph and they see Jesus, this, this Messiah and they're leaving, they're finally finished and they're going back. Can you imagine their conversations? Can you imagine what they talked about? Don't you think they probably told this story years later their kids, their great-grandkids, they've gathered them all together, and they're like, kids, let me tell you the story about the time that their grandpa met the Messiah, and all of them roll their eyes, because they've heard the story a thousand times, like, oh, grandpa, right? Because this experience changes them. Now, I'm taking some liberty with that, but I have to believe it's true. Um, I don't know about you, I've had a few celebrity encounters in my life. Has anybody ever had a celebrity encounter? Somebody notable? A few of you? Okay. If you're watching online and you're interested, I'd love to see Last night, a couple people uh, posted some celebrity encounters that they had. Tell us about your celebrity encounters. I'd love to find out what they are. Um, I've had a few. Some of them were more notable than others. Uh, I've been around some professional athletes before and things like that. Um, One time, my wife and I met uh, in the Tulsa airport. We met Gary Busey. Does anybody know Gary Busey, actor? He always plays crazy people. There's a reason. <laughs> he has the exact same haircut in real life. That's not for television, apparently. It's not for movies. He really has the crazy haircut and the crazy eyes and seems a little erratic. That's what I saw whenever I had the encounter with Gary Busey. Um, there's been several encounters through the years that I've had with with celebrities, um, my most notable, and I told the story years ago here at Summit, um, but my most notable was when I was in college. I was going to college in Dallas, Texas area, and my mom and dad at the time lived in Oklahoma City in the same house I grew up in. And so it was Chris, uh, Thanksgiving weekend. I had finished my classes, and I don't remember if my, it was my junior or senior year, um, but I was gonna drive back to Oklahoma City to be with my parents and my family for Thanksgiving. And this is, the, this is the Stone Age. This is pre-cell phones, pre-GPS. And I knew a specific route to get back to Oklahoma. But I couldn't deviate from that route very well, or I knew I would be in trouble. And so I'm taking this I-35 from, from Waxahachie, Texas, to Oklahoma City. And it's Thanksgiving traffic, and it is horrific It's horrible. I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. We've already established how much I love waiting. And so I decide, like many men do, I've got this innate ability to find my way. I know where I'm going, this this inborn sense of direction. And so I decide I'm exiting the highway and I will find my path. And about an hour later, I was lost in the mid-cities. I had no idea where I was between Dallas and Fort Worth. And I finally just gave up and I pull over at this Exxon station to to ask for directions. And so I pull over and this Exxon station is a long station uh, with doors on each side opposite each other. And so I park and I get out and I walk in the Exxon station. As I walk in the door, there's a girl who walks in opposite of me and she is a a lovely young lady. And uh, 
let me just preface this. I was not dating Kim at the time. I was not married to Kim at the time, okay? I was an eligible single young man. So I walk in and this young lady has sunglasses on and she is very cute. And I think, wow, she is a good looking girl. And so I said hi to her as we passed each other. And then I just got in line to wait to, uh, to ask for directions because I wasn't gonna just cut in the front of the line and be like, hey, how do I get to? So I just waited my turn. And while I'm standing there in line, um, I kind of saw out of the corner of my eye movement right behind me right here. And so I just kind of glanced around and it was the young lady and she had put her sunglasses on her head. And so uh, I kind of turned again because I'm a human male and I was curious about the attractive young lady behind me. And so I turned and looked again and I was like, oh my gosh. Drew Barrymore was standing behind me at an Exxon station in Fort Worth, Texas. And immediately, my brain leaps into motion. What should I tell her? What should I say? Think, man, think. It was like the clock was ticking. I don't know what to say, what to do. I loved you in ET, you were awesome. And it's like, no, that's weird for me to say I loved her when she was eight, right? That feels creepy. I shouldn't do that. And it was like, oh, what a, maybe, and I couldn't think of very many movies she had been in lately. And I was like, oh, and some of the movies I did think of, I was like, I don't know if it's appropriate that I should see that movie or comment on that movie. So I was like, ah. And so finally I just said, excuse me, this is gonna sound weird, but what are you doing in Fort Worth, Texas? And she said, well, I'm in town to visit some family. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And so we chit-chatted for just a second. I don't remember what else we said after that. Except I do remember we were talking and I noticed that the line in front of me was gone. That like the four people in front of me and I was just standing here talking to Drew Barry more like, ah, right? And I was like, oh, oh. And I said, well, why don't you go ahead? You've got, she had an armload of like water bottles and things. And she was like, oh, thank you. And this is what Drew Barrymore, star of television and film, she has her own television show. New York Times best-selling author Drew Barrymore says to me, she said, thank you. You're very sweet. <laughs> Just saying. I mean, this woman, she was practically throwing herself at me in this moment. <laughs> whoa, whoa, Drew Barrymore. So she goes in front of me in line and she is, um, she's paying for her items and the next line opens up, another cashier. And so I step over there and I ask directions and we're finishing up about the same time and, and I thanked the gentleman for giving me directions. I said, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. And she looks over at me and I look at her and I say, it was such a pleasure to meet you. And I said, you are so much more beautiful in person than you are on the screen. And she smiled and said, thank you. And I said, you're welcome. And I turned around and walked out like a boss. <laughs> so I get to my car. The story's not finished. The story's not finished. I get to my car and I'm trying to find my keys. I get outside and I'm, I'm fishing for my keys and I'm reaching in my pocket to get my keys and I kind of turn around. And as I do, have you ever had a moment with somebody where you look at them and it's like you caught them looking at you and they're like, oh, like that? I turn and make eye contact with star of stage and film, New York Times best-selling author. She has her own television show, Drew Barrymore. <laughs> and she has that moment where she's looking at me and I caught her looking at me and she looks away like, huh. she was checking me out. 
So I get in my car and I drive home and the whole way back to my parents' house, I'm thinking, I should have asked her out. I should have, I would have been kicked out of Bible college, but still, worth it. So I get home and remember, this is pre-cell phones. So I couldn't call my parents and be like, I'm late because I got lost. And let me tell you about Drew Barrymore, like none of that. So I finally get home, I'm late, my family's all there. And they're like, are you okay, what happened? And I was like, well, I got away late. And, and so then I gather them around and I was like, let me tell you a story. And I regale them of the tale of Drew Barrymore. And they have similar reactions to you and they laugh and my dad, God bless him, my dad. I, I didn't take any action because I thought my parents would kill me if I called them and was like, hey, I'm not gonna be home till tomorrow night because I got a date with Drew Barrymore. They would have been like, you will get home right now, right? Like that was my expectation. My dad, after I told the story, he said, did you ask her out? <laughs> no, I didn't ask her out. I thought you would kill me. He's like, you should have asked her out. I was like, no, right? And I'm sure today Drew Barrymore is still pining away. We talked about pining a couple weeks ago. She's pining away, telling the story about the one that got away, makes an annual pilgrimage back to that Exxon station every Thanksgiving with the hopes that she'll run into me. That's just not the case. Sorry, Drew. Now, here's the thing. (laughs) I just took a few minutes and told you a story about Drew Barrymore. This off encounter I had with, let's be honest, uh, uh, maybe a B-list actress, right? Um, And I can still tell the story years later about this interaction I had. Don't you think that the, the, the shepherds, they lived off of that the rest of their lives? Don't you think they took that experience and they would tell people about it? Oh, let me tell you what I've seen. Let me tell you what I've experienced. Let me tell you about my encounter. And it's interesting, because just like my dad questioned my judgment, you missed out on that. You could have had an experience with Drew Barrymore, and yet you did this. I think many times we weigh our decisions. We have to decide what's really important. See, what my dad was saying when he questioned my judgment, wasn't you should have married Drew Barrymore, but he was saying you could have experienced going on a date with her. You could have had a deeper experience with her if you would have just done it instead of doing what you thought you needed to do. And this is what happens in our relationship with Christ so many times. We go, well, I feel like I've got to do this so I can have a deeper relationship and a deeper experience with Jesus or I can do what's expected of me. And I know that these these shepherds, they were focused on, they were focused on eternity. They were making decisions based on eternal consequences and not temporary consequences. And I know when we do that, it changes our lives. Focusing on eternity produces joy. When we focus on eternity, when we focus on not just what we're responsible for, not just what we have to do, but when we focus on what really matters in this world, it will change lives. It will change our lives. It will change the lives of the people around us. But in order to focus on eternity, we have to understand and prioritize what really matters. We have to know what really matters in this world, and we have to prioritize what really matters in this world. So, the shepherds, They experienced great joy. 
because they spent time with Jesus. Matthew chapter 2 records that after Jesus was born, wise men came from the east. And as I mentioned, they show up to Jerusalem. Uh, then they announce publicly, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews, uh, the, the newborn king. And Herod, who was an appointed king from Rome, uh, who oversaw that area, he wasn't thrilled. And they, uh, they talk to their scholars, they talk to their theologians, and they figure out, oh, they're talking about the Messiah. The Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. That's where you should go. And he tells them, he says, but hey, when you find him, come back and tell me. We'd love to, we'd love to worship him too. And secretly, they wanted to kill him because he didn't want anyone interfering with his authority. So they dispatch the kings, and this is where we'll pick it up in Matthew 2.9. It says, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where Jesus, the child, or where the child was. Now remember, it doesn't say in this translation, Bethlehem. It says they followed the star. They were obedient to follow the star wherever it would take them, and that's one thing that the song got correct. It goes on to say, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly and with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. It's interesting because history tells us that the wise men probably had knowledge about the prophecy about the Messiah, because of the influence of Daniel and the influence of the Hebrews when they were taken into Babylonian captivity. So when they were taken into captivity, part of Hebrew tradition and culture was injected into that. And so these men probably knew about uh, the, the prophecy of Jesus because of this. Now, they were not worshipers of God, uh, of our God. Um, the culture they came from, they allowed people to worship all kinds of different gods, um, and they were probably more curious than they were devout. So they came out of curiosity to see this fulfillment, but they weren't probably at the time weren't believers that Jesus was the Messiah, was the Savior. So they set out on this journey, and the truth is, uh, it was a long journey. The, the empire that they came from was, um, it was large. It stretched from modern-day Syria all the way into India, um, and it was very powerful. If you want to hear more about the wise men, I did a, a series last year during the month of December um, called Kings and Kingdoms. And I believe it was the 19th and 20th of last year, we talked, went in depth about the three wise, three wise men. And so if you want to go deeper, do a deeper dive, go back in the archives and you can find that there. Um, so it was a long journey these guys set out on. It wasn't, it wasn't something they decided at the spur of the moment, like, we should do that. And they did a road trip. This was planned out. They had to work. It was difficult. And it wasn't just a long journey. They probably had a large entourage. Because of where they probably sat in society, um, they probably had a military escort, and they probably also had many attendants, servants, uh, assistants, different people, and there could have been hundreds of people in their entourage very easily. So you've got a large group of people on this long and difficult road trip, and it probably was not the swiftest. They took some time, and they were going through some unfriendly and even hostile areas, and even... Even Herod probably wasn't friendly to them until he realized that he could use them for his own ends. 
If they show up and they've got armed escorts, military escorts, he probably wasn't thrilled, but they needed that. So this was a difficult journey that these people set out on. And when I was thinking about the wise men this last week, I realized these guys had to be incredibly patient because they had heard about the prophecy, they had waited, they had seen the star and they felt like this was the sign. And they got this, this posse together, this group together, and they left. And it was a long journey, it was difficult. They had to be patient None of us want to earn patience. We want to be given patience, but we don't want to earn it, do we? Patience is something we all want, but none of us want to experience what we need to experience to get. It's interesting because in Scripture, the two words in the New Testament, the primary words for patience, the first is a, a Greek word. It's makruthumia. And macrothumia is a word that we find in Galatians, in Galatians chapter five, and we're talking about the fruit of the spirit. And the one in the King James, it calls it long suffering specifically. And macrothumia is just what you would expect it to be. It is standard for patience. And it's interesting because this word and the next word have virtually the same meaning, except this one caveat here. It says slowness in avenging wrongs. So the next word we see is um, hupomone, and hupomone is steadfastness, constancy, endurance. It's, it's almost the same things, but what we see, the difference between these two words is the first is related to relationships. The second is related to circumstances. That's why the first is included in the fruit of the, fruit of the Spirit, because an expectation is when we come into relationship with Jesus, when we begin uh, letting the Spirit work through our lives, part of the fruit of that is that we will be patient with the people around us, even the people that don't deserve it, even the people that are dumb. And I know I'm not supposed to say that, but let me, let's be honest. Don't you have some people in your life that are like, I don't have to be patient with them because they're just dumb. God expects you to be patient with people. In fact, he says, if you're not, it's a lack of evidence that you're actually a legitimate follower of, of Jesus. So there's fruit of the Spirit that we are patient with the people around us. And then we see that hupomone is the, the patience that comes with just the circumstances we walk through, the difficulties we walk through, that we say, God, I wanna be through this, I wanna be out of this, but God, I'm gonna trust you anyway. And we see this in Romans chapter five, verses three through five. And I'm not gonna read this to you right now, uh, but I would encourage you, take notes, read this later. Romans five, three through five, what we see is that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And then Paul says, and hope does not disappoint. So what we see in this moment is that endurance produces hope. Now suffering doesn't automatically produce endurance. It has to be suffering that's submitted to God. So when we suffer and we submit our suffering and we submit our pain and we submit our hurt to God, that is suffering that can produce endurance in us. And endurance in and of itself is fine, but, but we, have to be, we have to endure in the right things. See, the, the problem is we endure in the wrong things too many times. For many of us, we need to give up on some stuff. We need to give up on bitterness. We need to give up on unforgiveness. We need to give up on faithlessness. But the problem is we endure. No, 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 I'm not gonna give up this bitterness. I'm not gonna give up this unforgiveness. I'm enduring. We're not supposed to quit stuff, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep going. No, 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 no. You need to quit some things. We endure in the right things, and we can endure in the right things whenever we submit our suffering to Christ. 
that it gives us the ability to endure in the right things. And when we endure in the right things, it leads to the character of God being produced in us. When the character of God is produced in us, that's when we have the hope, this hope of salvation. So what we see is patience produces hope. Endurance produces hope. But, but long-suffering with people and endurance in circumstances ultimately what produces joy. It's interesting. Um, have you ever seen, um, it's a sticker on the back of cars when people run a marathon. It's like, is it 26.1? There it is. 26.2 on the back of cars. And I just gotta be honest with you, like, I'm not impressed. <laughs> Come on now, you, you ran 26.2 miles. No, I'm just kidding. Like, that's, that's impressive. Do you know what I've never seen? 0. 0.5. I've never seen a sticker for 0.5 on the back of somebody's car. Maybe we should start something with that. But I've never seen anybody that I'm like, hey, I heard you ran the marathon. Well, yeah, I ran half a mile. Like, Good for you. We're like carrying them out on our shoulders. They ran half a mile in the marathon. Why? Because we don't celebrate people who don't endure. We don't celebrate people who quit. Um, I, Certain companies, they don't do this as often anymore, they used to give a gold watch when you'd retire. If you'd been there 25 years or whatever it is, you'd get a gold watch. Do you know what I never heard of? I never heard of anybody getting a gold watch after they quit in six months. Maybe, maybe there's some people you worked with that you're like, I will give you a gold watch if you'll quit, right? <laughs> but that doesn't happen, why? Because we celebrate endurance. And the problem is we don't endure because we're not patient. We're not willing to push through. So when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we want instant results. And when we don't get them, we go, well, this thing was a waste of time. Well, this thing wasn't worth it. I knew. Like, well, no, you planted the seed and expected it to grow the next day. You wanted fruit the next day. You gotta be patient. You gotta endure. You gotta wait. You gotta go on this journey. You gotta keep seeking Jesus. And when you do, you will not be disappointed. In fact, you will celebrate with great joy. And this is what we saw. It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Why did they rejoice? Because they had gotten to their destination. They said, now, now we get to see Jesus. And that's what produced joy in their lives. What if we got to the point in our lives as believers where Jesus was enough to produce joy in us? We didn't need anything else. We didn't need the bells and whistles. We didn't need all the stuff. We just said, Jesus, you are enough. What if we fell in love with our Savior in such a way that he was all we needed to produce joy in us? We didn't need him to do the stuff for us. Well, Jesus, I'll have joy if you'll do this and this and this for me. What if we were like the wise men and we see the star and we know that we've arrived at our destination, we've arrived at Jesus, and we just say, Jesus, you're enough to produce joy in me. The problem is it takes endurance and many of us give up before we reach our destination. You know, one of the things I love about this story, we see the angels speak to the shepherds and we see the wise men who were, they were the, the upper end of their society. And we see both of them, God draws both of them to Jesus. With one, he uses a star, a miraculous sign. With one, he uses the angels. But he brings people of the entire spectrum to him. Why is this? Because the angel said it at the beginning of this message. I bring you 
I bring you tidings of great joy that will be for all the people. I've got great joy for you, and it's not just for you, it's for all people. It's for people that don't look like you. It's for people that don't vote like you. It's for people that aren't in your social class. It's for people that aren't in your, your um, economic class. It's for people of all races, all genders. All, it doesn't matter for all people. And I love how God did this intentionally to show us none of us are too good, none of us are too low for relationship with Jesus. Jesus is for all of us. And all of us have a need. All of us have a need for a savior. All of us need more joy in our lives and true joy is only found through Jesus. Fear not, for I bring you Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Why? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, who is the Messiah. I've got good news for you today. You can experience great joy, but will you endure? Will you pursue God even when it's hard? I've got good news. I've got Great joy, but will you make the tough decisions to say, hey, I choose joy over some of the responsibilities I have, some of the things that are expected of me. I'm gonna choose joy. I'm gonna choose to pursue Christ because that's what he's asking for us today. Hey, right now I'm gonna turn it over to our host in Blairsville. They're gonna close out the rest of this message. They're gonna give you an opportunity to respond. I want you guys to know though, I love you more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. So when we talk about joy that comes with Christ, if we're gonna be honest, there's many people that are here that are watching online that maybe you don't know that joy because you don't really know Christ. There's no condemnation, there's no guilt. I just wanna give you an opportunity to surrender your life to him, to, to put him in his proper place, to acknowledge that in your life. I also realize that there's probably people that are here that are watching online you're a believer, you're going to heaven, but the reality is you lack joy in your life. Maybe you lack joy because you've just given up at some point. You've just stopped pursuing. You got, you got tired because life is hard. And you need endurance. You need that patience to keep going when you've been hurt, when you've been disappointed, when life is hard. I think the Holy Spirit can help you with that. Maybe you recognize that you've just made some choices. I've made some choices that have taken me away from intimacy with Jesus. And you recognize that today. I, I think, again, that comes back to us. I think the Holy Spirit can help you make some right choices and, and change some directions in your life. I'm willing to give you that opportunity. So if you would, let's bow our head and we'll close our eyes. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Oh God, thank you for loving us beyond what we can know or imagine. God, thank you that your love for us, it can't get, be compared to any other love we've ever known. It can't be compared to that parent who loved us so well, that, that sibling, that grandparent, whatever it is, the greatest love we've ever known cannot compare to the love you have for us. So God, I pray, make us aware of that. Reveal that to our hearts. Help us see how deeply and passionately we are loved by you. And help us see it's, it's that love that drove you to send Jesus into this world. It's that love that drove Jesus to the cross. 
God, I thank you that, that he is alive and well today, that he has risen from the grave, and we have life because of that. So God, I pray, give us a keen awareness of your presence and of your love for us. And I pray that that would make the difference. I pray that that would draw us. For those that are resistant, that are holding something back, God, let today be the day that, that we hold nothing back from you. Just like we see the wise men bring their very best gifts. God, I, I thank you that you gave us your very best gift in Jesus. And I pray that as, as we surrender our lives to you, we would hold nothing back from you. We would give you our very best, but God, I, I thank you that you, you don't just want our very best, you want our very worst too. You want the dark parts of our heart that we hope nobody knows about. You see that and you love us anyway. So God, I pray that we would surrender our whole lives to you. So God, speak into us right now. Have your way. Now with nobody looking around, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today, and you'd say to me, Mel, I'm not really serving God. I'm not really walking with Jesus, but I know I want to. I need to. I recognize that. I need that joy that you're talking about. I need a Savior. I recognize that today. And I want to surrender to his lordship. I want to surrender to his kingship in my life. I want to acknowledge him as Savior. I'm not going to make you come forward. I just want to pray with you. So if you want to be included in that prayer, you'd say, Mel, include me in that prayer for salvation for surrender to Christ. Would you slip your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. If you'd say, Mel, pray for me. Include me in that prayer. Yeah, thank you on my right. Yeah, thank you up in the balcony. Who else would say, Mel, include me in that prayer. Pray for me. Today's my day. I don't want to wait anymore. All right. I want every person in this place, I want you to pray this prayer out loud, but I want you to mean it from your heart. Scripture says in the book of Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so I want you to pray this prayer with me with your mouth, but I want you to mean it from your soul. Don't, don't just repeat it mindlessly like a robot. You pray this prayer. So pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price and be the penalty for my sins. Help me live a life that brings you glory. I, I commit to turn away from my old life and I'll, I'm chasing after you. Have your way with me. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, Scripture says you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And we'd love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. And so if you prayed that prayer with us, there's a couple things you can do. You can either take the card out of the seat back in front of you, fill it out, and then just stop by our info center. Give it to them. They're going to give you a new Bible, and we're going to get in contact with you and help you take the next step in your faith journey, help you begin to grow in your faith and become who God wants you to be. The other thing you can do is you can simply text Summit PA to the number 94000, 94000. When you do that, um, we're gonna respond back to you and we're gonna get some resources to you in the mail. And again, we're gonna get you connected to relationships and resources that are gonna help you grow in your faith. So if you're watching online, you made that decision, uh, let us know. But I'm telling you, it's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. You've chosen Christ, but he has chosen you too. So I'm excited to see what God does in your life. And here's what's gonna happen right now. I know many of you were probably feeling a little bit of conviction about some of the things we talked about today. 
And I wanna encourage you, we're gonna sing a final song of worship together. And while we're doing that, our prayer team's gonna be here at the front of this room. And if you would like someone to pray with you, maybe as a response to what God spoke to you today, feel free, come forward, let one of our team pray with you before you go today. If you've got a need of any kind, I would encourage you, let one of our team pray with you. Um, but while we're singing this last song, I would encourage you, just meditate on what the, what the Lord has spoken to you today. If the Holy Spirit's begin to point some things out, just ask the Holy Spirit, show me what I need to do differently. Show me what I need to change. Show me what I need to surrender. And then take action in that. Let him do the work he needs to do, but you do the work you need to do as well. So why don't you stand to your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go today. Guys, you hear me say it all the time, and I hope you know I mean it, but I love you more than you know. And I am so honored that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys and have a wonderful day.